Amen. Praise the Lord for a Savior that loved us enough to shed His blood for us on Calvary's cross. That's what He talked about in the passage that we read this morning uh, where He said, Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. And there is no greater friend uh, than our friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you get that picked up or I'll be slipping and sliding on that in just a minute. And so, uh, we're like I've said before, we're so glad that you're here. I don't know about you, but uh, some people, it just seems like making friends is really easy for them. You know, they could come into a congregation like this. They could come into uh, an event across a strange parking lot and uh, and come in and, and uh, just mingle, not knowing a soul, and make friends. And that's just easy for them. Uh, that's not easy for me. That's not my personality. I'm much more introverted. So those of you, and I met a couple of you this morning that you did that. You just, somebody left something on your door. I met at least two folks this morning that, uh, just because of a door hanger, you came this morning, and I commend you for that. That takes a lot of courage and bravery to step out of your comfort zone and to come uh, to a strange place, and I hope that you've been treated well and that you find a friend while you're here today. Uh, and so the others of you that came with somebody that you already know, that makes it a little bit easier, but uh, it still can be a little bit intimidating when you come into a new place. And so I thank you for uh, for taking the time to step out to support some maybe that are being baptized today or some others that uh, just you came just because you, they were invited to you uh, or they invited you to come today. We, we thank you for that. Uh, and so and hope that the service will be a blessing. And the message will encourage you this morning. As we look here in our text, Jesus is on his way from uh, what we call the upper room. If you're familiar with the story of his of the end of his life here on this earth, uh, you know that uh, he came into Jerusalem for the Passover to celebrate the Passover, and he celebrated that Passover meal. It was a big meal. They came together in an upper room uh, that had been prepared, and uh, they went up and they had a long conversation. Much of the Gospel of John deals with uh, essentially this last week in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, and so we look here and. He's now moving. They've left that room. Judas has gone off to betray him. Uh, and they are moving from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, when they get there, he's going to instruct them. He's going to give the, he's going to spend some time in prayer. Uh, but right now they're walking from that upper room inside the city, outside the gate, uh, into a garden that was well known where they, uh, frequently would gather and spend some time. Uh, and so as he speaks to his disciples in their walking, he knows in his mind and in his heart that this is the last moments that he's going to have with them. He is Jesus, the Christ. He is fully man, but yes, he's also fully God. He knows exactly what's going to transpire. They do not. They've been told, but it's really not registered fully with them exactly everything that he meant and how it would unfold. But Jesus knows. And so he knows that uh, the last moments that he has to impact them before he is arrested and then the next day crucified is taking place in this conversation. It's important to understand that because uh, it's important to me when I look at this, it's fascinating the words that he chose to share with them when he knew that these were going to be some of the last words that he would say to them before he rose from the grave. Uh, and so he begins to share. He opens his heart uh, and he tells them that I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Now, this is also interesting because uh, it relates directly to a passage in Isaiah uh, where God refers to 
Israel as his vineyard, uh, and it's in uh, in chapter number five, and he talks about how as the husbandman or as the uh, the dresser of the vineyard uh, that that God uh, did everything that was possible for this nation for this vineyard uh, is the analogy uh, to prosper and to do well. He said, now. Uh, I will now will I sing in Isaiah chapter five uh, to my well beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with a choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein and he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it. Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And he talks about the disappointment in God of how he had done everything that was necessary for his vineyard to prosper, to bear fruit. Uh, in that passage in Isaiah, he's, he's speaking directly about the nation of Israel, how he had chosen them as his chosen people, that uh, Jesus would come from them. Uh, and it all ties back to, uh, to being picturesque of what God did at creation when he created man for his fellowship and when man decided to reject God and to choose sin, that God gave us a perfect climate. God gave us a perfect earth. God gave us everything that was necessary for us to fulfill the purpose for which we were created, yet we chose sin. And the vineyard gives that same exa same example. And now he goes back to that analogy. His disciples would have understood the connection between uh, God's vineyard and it producing wild grapes, though he had created a perfect environment for uh, for it to, to succeed and to be fruitful. And he says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. And so he describes to them uh, as he reassures them uh, their purpose in life, complete uh, with instructions to help them successfully fill the fulfill the purpose. May I say to you this morning that God has a purpose for you? Uh, that there's not a single person in this room that God does not have a purpose for you. You were created, I was created for a specific purpose. Now, I can't begin to fulfill that purpose until I become a part of the vine. And he gives this picture of this vine, and the vine flows. And if you've ever uh, looked at a vineyard, there's one basic root, and the vine can go uh, for incredible, incredibly long distances back to that one root, and uh, it all feeds from there. And a branch, quite frankly, is just only as valuable as its connection to the vine. Uh, the vine uh, gives the life force; it gives the lifeblood uh, to all of the vine that will that will produce the grapes, that will green the branches, that will allow what's in the vine to flow through the branch to produce the fruit. And it's a perfect picture of what our relationship is to be with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the life giver. He is the vine. He is the one that gives that source of life that comes through. And so long as I am connected to the vine as his branch, I will naturally bear fruit. Whenever that branch becomes disconnected or that branch begins to uh, dry up and cut off itself from 
the branch, then it withers. The leaves wither. Uh, the fruit is not produced or it becomes minimal. Uh, and what does the vine dresser do? He goes and he cuts away that which is not producing fruit, which is dead and dried up. Uh, we, we started, my wife and I, a couple of years ago, just playing a little small garden. And we've got a real small backyard. And so we built a couple of boxes. And, uh, and we're getting to that time of the year where uh, the, about the only thing that's still surviving is a few pepper plants. And so uh, there's two huge Tabasco plants that are probably about three and a half or four feet tall. And honestly, I thought last year they were toast. I thought they were done. I didn't think they were going to do anything. No, there's a, a jalapeno pepper plant from last year. Uh, and then there's a green pepper plant from last year. And really last year, they didn't produce hardly anything. They, they were all withered. They looked all dried up. And I, I just about just this spring pulled them up and threw them out in the yard so I could mulch them up and but they started getting just a little bit of signs of life. So I thought, well, I'm just curious to see if they'll come back or not. So I moved them off over to the side. And sure enough, they, man, they cranked up and they got beautiful and green. Uh, and they produced more this year than we could handle, really. Uh, and so it just was an amazing thing that uh, the vine dresser can look. And he, I'm, I'm ignorant when it comes to that. It's just an experiment for us. But God is the vine dresser is an expert. He knows. And he can look at a life and he can say, this life may be dried up right now, but with some love and with some care and with some pruning, life can flow back into it and it can grow again and it can produce fruit again. Or he can look and he can say uh, and see that this is this is finished. It's never going to produce again and he'll purge it and he'll cast it aside. Now, the analogy is this, is that uh, there are a lot of people that claim that they know Jesus, that pretend to be Christian or that identify as Christian, uh, but they've never really entered into a relationship with Christ. They seem to be connected to the vine, uh, but they're really not. And they don't produce any fruit and they're all withered and dried up and they're just uh, Christian in name only. And listen, I realize that our nation is no longer the Christian nation that it once was, but there are still much many elements of Christianity that are woven into our culture, especially if you're a little older. And, uh, and so there are a lot of those types of qualities that would cause us to look and say, hey, I'm a pretty good person. And, uh, and you know, most people are pretty good, at least at heart, and what we think of ourselves and how we carry on with each other. Uh, but the reality is, is that whether I'm good or bad isn't really relevant here. What's relevant is, is I'm I connected to the vine? Am I part of the vine? Am I drawing from the vine? Am I allowing the vine to flow through me that he might through me produce fruit. And what we see here is that Jesus is laying out to his disciples, I have a purpose for you. But if you try to do what I've purposed for you to do in your own power and strength, you will fail. If you try to do anything that I've given you, if you try to be in me, if you try to be a Christian, if you try to, to serve others, if anything that you do, though it may have a picture or at least look like it has some measure of success, it is ultimately doomed to fail. The only way that we'll succeed is if we are connected to the vine. It is allowing him to live in and to work through us. That is the purpose of our life. Now, I believe what we see here in this passage is not only uh, that God has a purpose for us, but he details for us how we can succeed in fulfilling 
that purpose. And we look and we read the text this morning and we could uh, ask some questions about, so, okay, pastor, what's the, what's our purpose? And uh, some obvious things that we could see in the, in the passage this morning is that, you know, I, I am the true vine and my father is the husband. And uh, in verse four, abide in me and I in you. And we could say, well, my purpose is to abide in Christ. Well, uh, that is a, a great answer if we look at just the surface of what the text is saying here. But uh, I think that what you'll see is that the purpose is more. We can look at verse 5 and say, uh, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Okay, pastor, so my purpose is to bring forth fruit. Most Christians would look at that on the surface and say, yeah, my purpose is to bring uh, forth fruit. We can look at verse 12 and we could say, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. And say, okay, pastor, our purpose is to love one another. It's a good answer. Or we can look at verse number 14 and we could say, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. So we could say, well, uh, my purpose is to obey his commands. Now, those are all good things. Those are all things that ought to, uh, that ought to permeate a Christian's life, that ought to help identify and define a Christian's life, in fact. But all of these things are good, but our purpose and the purpose of our existence is more than just the doing of these things. The purpose of our existence is to be the friend of God, to bring glory to him. That's the purpose for which we were created. See, I wasn't created to, to just uh, be a, a, a fruit producer. I wasn't a servant could do that. And he said uh, later in the text that, uh, that I no longer call you servants, but friends. And my point this morning is, is that the purpose for your existence and the purpose for my existence, though there are many components of it, ultimately result in a relationship with Jesus Christ in which I am the friend of God in fellowship with the one who created me for that very purpose. That's our purpose. And so look and consider this morning as we uh, look at some things about this. So we'll say, Pastor, that's a great point. But then uh, if I'm going to understand exactly what my purpose is, then I need to understand what the word friend means. Now, the word friend in the New Testament comes from the Greek word uh, philos, which, has, uh, which is used for friend, friends, friendship, those types of words that have the same derivative. Uh, and so it's, it's a four-step process, really. And we see just in the definition of the word, the process that we go through even making friends in our culture and our society today. For example, uh, the New Testament word for friend, uh, philos, means, first of all, to be friendly to one to wish him well. So in other words, it's to, to just make someone's acquaintance, to just greet someone. Uh, and any time that we uh, have found someone that becomes a close personal friend, it had to start uh, with an introduction. It had to start with a greeting. I either had to come up to someone and introduce myself, or they came and introduced themselves to me, or someone that we knew mutually introduced us to each, introduced us to each other. We just became uh, acquainted with one another. And so the word philos means initially to be friendly to one or to wish him well. It is to, to be a kind and to be greeting. Secondly, it means to associate. So there's progression here. First, we meet, we get to know each other a little bit. Then we begin to associate some things that we have in common. We begin to uh, learn some things about one another that uh, make us want to maybe spend a little more time and to get better acquainted. And so we see again progression. 
Then there's a third step in the progression when we look and we see that thirdly, by definition, this is still just the definition of the word. That he who associates familiarly with one, a companion. So now I've gone to just uh, meeting someone that I did not previously know to learning some things about them so that uh, we get better acquainted, to now spending time with them. Now we're companions. Now we may uh, golf together or hunt together or fish together or uh, ladies may uh, shop together. Not that ladies can't fish and hunt, but uh, you, you get what I'm trying to say. You can go spit, get a cup of coffee together and uh, to just uh, to, to actually begin to engage in activity with one another. But there's a fourth step. And I find it particularly interesting that the very definition of the Greek word uses this, uh, this analogy uh, to express this level of friendship. Because if you understand uh, the New Testament and what the church is to the Lord Jesus Christ, that the church is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he loves his bride. Now, listen with that in mind, the, the last part of this definition of the Greek word. It means one of the bridegroom's friends who on his behalf asked the hand of the bride. Now that's countercultural to us. I cannot imagine sending a friend to ask my wife if she would marry me. That almost seems a little bit kind of junior highish. Hey, will you go see if that girl likes me over there? Uh, but in their culture, it was commonplace. In their culture, it was right and proper uh, for that to be the case. And so this friend, this level of friendship, uh, this man would go and ask the hand of the bride and then rendered various services in closing the marriage and celebrating the wedding ceremony or the nuptials. And so we've gone from just greeting someone on the street or in in a meeting like this that we didn't know to getting more acquainted with them so that we learn facts about their life and we learn some common interest and, uh, and then to allowing that, that relationship to grow to where now we're uh, companions, we go and do things together and we spend time together to growing even farther to where now uh, we are interconnected in the innermost, the most sacred uh, and the most intimate relationships of our life. It is going from someone being essentially a total stranger to being a close family member. And I'm saying this morning that when Jesus Christ said to you, and when Jesus Christ said to me that I created you for my fellowship, I created you that you might bring me glory, I created you that I might walk with you, that that relationship has to begin with an introduction. If you're here this morning and all Jesus has ever been to you is just a name that you know, a historical character that you've been aware of, may I introduce to you this morning the one that created you to fellowship with Him. When we look at this this morning, we, we understand that God wants that relationship to grow. He is not satisfied with just knowing us as a casual acquaintance, but He wants to enter into a close interpersonal relationship, not just a relationship that, that is close in the fact that we know about Him and He knows about us, but where we walk together where we commune together, where we fellowship together, and even beyond that, where we are acting on His behalf. And by the way, the Bible describes to us that 
When Jesus Christ, uh, when I accepted Him by faith as my Savior, that He made me a new creation in Christ, and that the ultimate fulfillment of that relationship is for me to then become His ambassador to the world around me, or His representative to the world around me. We see all of that in this word, friend. Our purpose in life is friendship with God. Pastor, does God really want to be friends with man? Well, Abraham was called on several occasions the friend of God. Not only that, I would say this morning that Jesus uh, is called on more than one occasion a friend of sinners. Also, and it was sung about one of the songs this morning, uh, in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, But God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, before I decided that I wanted to know about him, before I decided that my life was, was there was an empty place in my life, that there was a, a, a void that only this type of a friend uh, could fill, then he demonstrated that he loved me, he reached out to me, he demonstrated his compassion toward me. And by the way, in our text this morning, that same type of, uh, of thinking, he said this, that greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And here is a Savior who looked down, a Creator who looked down at a creation that He created to fellowship with Him, that He longs for friendship with, but that creation rejected Him and chose sin. And when that creation rejected Him and went away, He was not content to just let us continue to reject Him. He loved us so much that He demonstrated that love by taking upon Him our sin and its penalty and paying the debt. And serving the prison sentence, if you will, and doing for us what we could not do for ourselves because he said, I love you and I want to be your friend. In other words, he said, I'm not waiting for you to get friendly with me. I'm showing you my friendliness towards you. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man laid down his life for his friends. Now, the four thoughts about this this morning uh, that I want to develop just a little bit here as we go through the message. So if you've got your handout this morning, uh, you should have some blanks you can fill in if you want to keep along and, and go along that way. The first thing that I want you to consider this morning is the, the position of a friend. The position of a friend. Uh, a friend and salvation in Christ, knowing that I'm on my way to heaven, that I have a relationship with God, is it's not about feeling, it's about position. What is my position? Am I part of the vine or am I not? Am I connected to the vine? Have I been grafted into the vine? Have I grown out of the, the vine, the position of a friend? And I would say, first of all, this morning, and we see in verse number four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. And I would say, first of all, that a friend is accessible. What is a position of a friend? A friend is accessible. How many of us have someone that's a close relationship to us as a friend that, that is inaccessible? Friends are accessible. Friends are there. And Jesus is stating here, saying, listen, I want to be accessible to you. I want you to be connected to me. I want you to be close to me. 
I want you to allow me uh, to uh, to flow through you as the uh, as the sap flows through the vine into the branches that gives life and that produces fruit. We sing about that life-giving blood. We sing about uh, the lamb that shed his blood for us. And that's all uh, pictures of what he says here uh, when he says uh, that this, that the greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus became our sin and laid down his life on the cross and shed his blood as a sacrifice to God to pay for our sin once for all. The Lamb of God. A friend is accessible. Secondly, I would say as far as position goes, that a friend comes into agreement. A friend is one who comes into agreement. In other words, uh, in verse number 3, we see, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. What this is, is the moment of transformation. The moment that I'm grafted to the vine, if you will. The moment that I'm born into the family of God. Now are ye clean. See, we were stained in our lives. Our souls were stained with sin. We're all sinners. The Bible tells us very clearly uh, that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For there is none righteous, no, not one. The only one who is righteous to stand before God is Jesus Christ. But our friend Jesus said, I will stand on your stead. I will stand on your behalf. You can stand in my righteousness because I hung on the cross in your place. I paid your debt. I did for you what you could not do for yourself. And we we do that when we come into agreement with God that we are sinners. When we come into agreement with God that we are uh, that we are without hope. When we come into agreement with God that his son Jesus Christ took upon us upon himself our sin and willingly sacrificed himself to pay that debt for us when I come into agreement with God in those issues then I can put my faith and trust in him and I can accept the gift of eternal life that his death burial and resurrection have provided to me it's a matter of faith it's a not it's not a matter of being good no one can be good enough no one can work hard enough No one can turn over enough new leaves in their life because it's not about what we do. It's about our position. Am I in Christ? The Bible said in Amos chapter 3 and verse number 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? What I'm talking about this morning is that when I spend time with someone that I become acquainted with, then when we get to know each other and the relationship grows, it grows because we can come into agreement about values, about principles, about uh, direction of life. Not that we're going to agree on every item, uh, but there's much agreement within our life. And that's what Jesus is looking for here and what Jesus does in us. A friend comes into agreement. Uh, Listen, we are made in God's image. That means that everything about us is a character trait of God. And sometimes we like to think, and he talks much in this passage about love, but we like to think that, hey, uh, God uh, God is love, and he is, but he's more than that. God also is gets angry. God also has wrath. God also gets his heart broken. All of the emotion that God put in us, we are created in his image. 
He can express those emotions and never sin. We often sin in the expression of our emotion. But it's all part of what he is. And what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, uh, as we come into agreement, uh, then we have to come into agreement of the fact that we've been made in God's image. God, you created me in your image. And I have a, uh, I have a, a, a body, a soul and a spirit. And, uh, and I need you to bring that, to, to bring that, to birth that spirit back alive in my life, uh, that I was born when it, it was dead in me. Uh, and so a friend comes into agreement about those things. In other words, what I'm saying is, Lord, I need you. I need you. I have sinned against you and I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. I need your payment for my sin. I need your righteousness because there's not enough righteousness in me to pay my debt. I need you to make up the difference. And when I come into agreement with God, then I come to a position where I can then be mended by his friendship. That my broken soul can be repaired. That my lost soul can be found. That my sinful soul can be saved. And we use these terms interchangeably, uh, but, they're, uh, but they're all Bible principles that, uh, that lead us down the same path. That we are mended by Jesus' friendship toward us. We see that again in verse 3. Greater love hath no man than this. And a man lay down his life for his friends. And my friends, this morning Jesus Christ laid his life down for you and for me. Secondly, this morning we see the proof of friendship. It's great for someone to say, hey, I'm your friend, but what is the proof of that friendship? And the proof of that friendship we see through verses 5 through 15, and we'll not reread all of that text for sake of time this morning, but we'll highlight a few verses along the way. And I would say, first of all, that the proof of friendship is found, first of all, in mutual communication. Friends communicate with one another. What kind of a friend are we if we never communicate? And we live in a time of mass communication. We uh, make phone calls. We send text messages. We send emails. I mean, uh, we, we Instagram each other and FaceTime each other. And, uh, and I can't even keep up with all of the different apps that the kids have uh, that let them communicate instantly and constantly uh, with one another. We live in an age of instant communication. But I would say this morning that if I would be a friend of Jesus and allow him to be my friend, that I must communicate with him. Notice in verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, Ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. By the way, if I am abiding in him, those things that I'm looking for, those things that are going to help me fulfill my purpose in life. The things that are going to help me please him and grow in him. There's mutual communication. Then I would say that there's mutual cooperation. Mutual cooperation. Friends cooperate with one another. A couple of you are here this morning because a group of people from our church went out in the heat uh, over the last few Saturdays and walked through your neighborhood and put a little invitation on your door. And we're so excited that, that you came because of that. Others came because uh, someone communicated to you, we're having a special day at my church today, would you come and be my friend? Some of you came because uh, someone in your family today is going to be uh, following the Lord in believer's baptism. Baptism doesn't get them to heaven, but it is a picture of what's already taken place in their heart. Uh, and so uh, what we, uh, you, whether you came because of those things, you came because someone cooperated mutually to communicate a message to you. And cooperation is important. Friends cooperate with one another. If Jesus is my friend, am I cooperating with him this morning? How am I cooperating with him? How am I communicating with him? Am I allowing him to communicate to me? Am I closed off and shut down? Am I rejecting the Lord trying to communicate with me right now in this moment? 
Or is my heart open? Am I searching and seeking for what God has for me? I would say, uh, thirdly, uh, on this point, that there's mutual sacrifice. Mutual sacrifice. Friends sacrifice for one another. Friends go the extra mile for one another. Friends will go out of their way to help one another. We see that at times in our life and at times as we uh, come together as God uh, speaks to hearts and works in hearts and changes lives. I'm, I'm grateful that when Harvey came a couple of years ago, that we had folks in our church that were flooded out and others were willing to sacrifice to let them stay in their homes with them as if they were family. And they are in a church family uh, for, in some cases, many months until they were back on their feet again. Mutual sacrifice. And may I say to you this morning that Jesus Christ has made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And He requires the ultimate sacrifice from us. Pastor, you mean that Jesus wants me to go on the cross? No, but He wants me to bear my cross. He wants me to give my life a living sacrifice. See, Jesus is, is, uh, is willing to express His friendship to you this morning, even if you only go to step one or two. But He wants a fourfold friend this morning. What Jesus is looking for in you and in me is not just a casual acquaintance. He is wanting a friend that will accept fully the sacrifice that He has made and will give back fully the sacrifice that He deserves from us. He wants us to develop the relationship. And I understand this morning that, that, that there's a time and there's process and there's learning and there's development of the relationship before we, one gets to that point. And some will, will, will give their entire embodiment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's, that's what he's looking for this morning. I'm not trying to scare you from entering into a relationship with Christ, but I want you to understand that, Frankie, what Jesus Christ wants from you is not just a casual run-of-the-mill acquaintance where you bump into Him when you've got a problem and cry out to Him when you've got a need. He wants to be your friend, and He wants you to be His friend. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to flow through you. He wants to use you to impact the lives of those around you so that He can become their friend too. And when we look just at the development of the definition of the word, that friendship requires mutual sacrifice. Yes, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I deserve to be cut off and spent and separated from you for all of eternity. But I also know that you are my friend and that you love me and that you paid the debt so that I can be reconciled to you, so that I can be connected to the vine, so that I can abide in you and you can abide in me. And I, res- I accept that by faith and I receive you as my Savior, now develop the friendship. Grow in His grace. Let God do wonderful things in your life. Mutual sacrifice. Thirdly, we see the progression of the friendship. Progression of the friendship. It says sacrifice up there because I made a mistake in my notes and so I didn't have time to correct it after I caught it. My brain was still engaged on this last sub-point when I moved on. The progression of friendship. Friendship is progressive. Friendship is moving forward. And I would say this, and I'm going to move through this quickly because we've really talked about it a lot in the introduction. Friendship requires introduction. Who, my friends, have you introduced to Jesus? Back in that mutual sacrifice, are you introducing people to Jesus? And when you do introduce them to Jesus, can they readily identify you as a true friend of Christ? 
Or do they look at you and look at me as if, really, you're Jesus' friend? I would have never thought that. I teasingly say to some of our teenage girls in particular, I don't know if Adriana, oh, there she is over there in the corner. I was so shocked that she had a friend. You know, but sometimes you can introduce someone to Jesus and they could be shocked that he's your friend. They shouldn't be. Should be pretty obvious. Should be obvious that we enjoy spending time in his company and that he enjoys uh, spending time with us and that he's impacted our life. But uh, there requi- there's an introduction required. And then uh, friendship grows with common interests. And then thirdly, friendship develops with common bonds, common values. And then finally, friendship matures with a coexistence. Jesus wants to coexist with us. He wants to abide in us and us to abide in him. Number four this morning, we see, first of all, we've seen the position of a friend. Then we've seen the proof of friendship. Then we've seen the progression of friendship. And then lastly, this morning, we see the power of friendship. See, friendship is powerful. The friendships in your life are powerful. The friendships in your life this morning, quite frankly, are either pushing you away from Christ or they're drawing you to him. Whether overtly or covertly so. My relationships, my friendships are either helping me be more like my Savior or they are dragging me away from him. I either have healthy relationships or unhealthy ones. Now, I don't know what your relationships are like this morning or how intimately you're connected to people that would draw you away from Christ, but I'm just saying this morning uh, that, the, that friendships are powerful. Three thoughts about this this morning as we wrap up. First, friendships give us the power to be one with another. The power to be one with another. There, listen, you, if you're friends for long, you're going to clash at times. No one in our existence is going to agree with or get along with your friend on every issue of every day of your life. So my wife and I have been married for 30 years, and most of the time we get along great. But there have been a few times over those 30 years that we've clashed on some things. But we're one. And 30 plus years later, we're together. And uh, what I'm saying this morning is that friendship gives you the power to be one with another. Friendship with Jesus gives you the power to abide in him as he abides in you. It gives you the power uh, to become what he wants you to become, to live the life that he's given you and calls you to live, uh, to express the love that he has expressed to those around you. It is power to be one with another. Secondly, I would say that friendship gives us the power to love unconditionally. The power to love unconditionally. What does he say in our text this morning? Uh, And again, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. I gave my life for you. Love each other the same way. I sacrificed everything for you. Love each other the same way. This is my command to you that you love as I have loved. Can we say this morning, church family, can we say this morning, Christian, whether you're new or whether you're here often, have you, are you loving others the way that Jesus has loved you? That's what friendship does. Friendship empowers us to love unconditionally because unconditionally is how God has loved us. So, Pastor, if God loves man unconditionally, then why will some die and spend eternity separated from him in hell? 
It's not because he didn't love them. He gave his life for them. They just chose to reject the gift that he offered them. Hey, listen, uh, you came in this morning and someone hopefully offered you uh, some, uh, some breakfast this morning when you came in, but you were not obligated to take it. You could say no. And that's the way it is with Jesus. He has clearly identified all of us as sinners. He has clearly identified himself as God. He has clearly identified that while God does love us, God also is perfect and holy and just. And God's holiness and justice demand payment for sin. But his love made the payment on our behalf. His love covered for us what we and paid for us what we could not pay. And when we come and we look and we understand this morning that Jesus Christ has done that for us. But I'm just telling you that there are a lot of people that know that never accept him. Do you realize this morning that every single person that's ever been conceived has had every sin that they ever would have committed or did commit or in the future will commit paid for by Jesus on Calvary's cross? They're all paid for. But not everyone is willing to be his friend. Not everyone is willing to accept his friendship. And the message this morning is just quite simple. Jesus Christ has paid for every sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit. He loves you that much. Are you willing to accept the gift of the payment? You see, this morning, there is a payment. There is a ticket that's been purchased for heaven on your behalf. And all I'm doing this morning as a pastor of Victory Baptist Church is holding out that ticket and asking you to accept it. But it's your choice. If you don't understand that you need it, then you won't bother to take it. If you look at Jesus and say, yeah, well, that's a nice gift, but I really don't want that kind of relationship with God then you won't take it. But if we realize this morning that he has given all, that there's no greater friend that we could ever have, then we'll accept it happily. See, God gives us the power to love unconditionally. And then he gives them, and this is wonderful, this is the beauty of this church. It gives them the ability to produce together. My wife and I met in 1985, November in February 4th of 1989, I, I went to the island of Puerto Rico and we walked down the aisle at her church there uh, and we exchanged our vows and we began our marriage together. That union has produced four children. It bore fruit. It's the natural part of a marriage relationship. Understand this morning that when you plant a vine and it grows, it sprouts branches and they get buds and they turn into grapes, it bears fruit. It's natural. You don't have to coax it. You might have to cultivate it. might need a little fertilizer once in a while. might need some pollinization. You know what Christians do, but really, sometimes when it gets into this kind of this analogy, we're just a bunch of bees going around trying to pollinate the fruit that God's got on the vine growing. 
Are we willing? Do we understand and see that there is one who wants to be that kind of a friend to me? And that friendship is powerful because ultimately when I enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ, the natural evolution of the relationship will be the production of fruit for the glory of God. It's not the responsibility of the pastor outside of his position in Christ as a Christian. It's the responsibility of every believer to walk with their friend, to abide in their friend, to allow their friend to abide in him so that they together produce fruit. I can't produce any fruit on my own. You can't produce any fruit on your own. But with him, we produce fruit. And he said, I want you to produce fruit that remains. I want you to help people enter into a relationship with my son that lasts for eternity, that lasts a lifetime. Not one that just simply saves their soul, but one that salvages their life. One that transforms them into the image of Christ. One that takes a life that was wrecked and ravaged by alcohol and drugs and all of the corruption that society can muster and can take them and pluck them out and change them so utterly and completely that they become unrecognizable to the ones that knew them before. They cannot believe it. That is the power of the friendship of Jesus Christ. And he wants to be your friend this morning. He wants you to grow in that friendship. He wants to, he longs to be with you. And I want you to notice in verse number 11 as we close this morning. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy, Jesus said, might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Jim, pastor, if I live that kind of life, my life is just going to be dominated by uh, by church and things at church and people at church and uh, it, it, what a drudgery. No, no, no. It's joy. It's joy. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. And Jesus said, these things have I written unto you that you, my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. He longs for his people to experience the joy that only he can give. Joy and fulfillment that are found and achieved only when something that is created fulfills the purpose for its creation. Think about that for a moment. Nothing is ever satisfied. Nothing is ever complete and fulfilled until it is performing what it was created to perform. My friends, this morning, you were created to be the friend of God. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. My friends, you are the joy that was set before him. The relationship, the friendship that he wants with you was the joy that was set before him when he chose the cross, when he paid the debt. So, Pastor, life is hard. My burden's heavy. The sin weight is hard. It's heavy. I understand. I know. That's why Jesus said, the same Jesus that wants to be your friend, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. 
You need to take the weight of the sin that you carry and you need to lay it down at the foot of the cross. You need to give it to him. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. A yoke like two oxen together. But there's always a lead oxen. That lead ox always bears the bulk of the workload. He always carries the burden. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. Abide in me, and I in you. Be my friend. Get acquainted with me. Let that relationship grow until finally you're yoked up with me, working, laboring with me to bear fruit. He says, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My friends, this morning, would you say, can you say, that Jesus Christ is more to me than just an acquaintance? Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I don't know that Jesus is my friend. I don't know. Let me just put it this way. If you died today on your way home, if you have an accident, if you suffer a heart attack, if you died today before you got home, are you absolutely 100% positive that you would go into the presence of God? The Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In that moment, do you know for certain that you would be with Christ? See, he wrote in 1 John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, These things have I written unto you that ye may know that ye have eternal life. He does not, your friend does not want you to wonder if you have eternal life. He wants you to know. He wants you to have no doubts. He's paid the price. But if you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I've got some doubts. In just a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to pray. The piano's going to play. And we're going to give what we just simply call here at church an invitation. We call it that because when that happens, I want to invite you to leave your seat to come down here to the front and just tell me, Pastor, if I died, I don't know for sure. And let me pair you up with someone that can take the Bible and take you to another room and show you not what a church says, but what the Bible says about how you can know for certain that you have been born into the family of God so that you have eternal life. There's no greater decision that you'll ever make in this lifetime. Your entire eternal existence depends upon it. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I know that, but I also know, and the Holy Spirit spoken to me this morning about the fact that I, I'm, I know I'm on my way to heaven. I know I'm, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, but I've really not been the kind of friend to Him that I should be. And I invite you to just come and to kneel around the altar and to just take a moment and pray. No one's going to single you out. No one's going to pressure you. You can come and you can pray and talk to the Lord. And when you finish, just go back to your seat. That's what this time of the service is for. It's an invitation. We're inviting you to act upon what God has done in your heart. Don't let that opportunity pass you by. You don't know that God will ever speak to you again the way that he's speaking to you right now. Don't take it for granted. He might. But what if he doesn't? It's an opportunity to either become his friend 
or to move your friendship to another level. 